Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Lily has some information to share about sharks. Is it a shark story? No, it's about baby sharks. I'm going to talk with Jeff Butler, the editor of Plug Boats, about the state of electric boats. We both just came back from the Toronto International Boat Show. I've got five tips on how to buy the right boat and a reflection or two to share on Boating Blind. I know it's the middle of winter, but you know what? Can't stop a person from dreaming. Come on, Lewis. Let's go find Lily. Hey, Lily. Hey. I remember being in Florida once years and years ago. I was down there and um, walked up this guy who was just fishing from shore. And I said, did you catch anything? And so, as a matter of fact, he said, I, he said, I just caught a baby hammerhead shark. And he, and he pulled it out of the bucket. It was maybe 10 inches long, like a brand new baby hammerhead shark. I don't know why he was keeping it. I don't know if he was going to eat it or not, or if he was just keeping it because it was interesting or he was going to let it go. I think he was going to let it go. But it was just a tiny little baby hammerhead. Oh <laughs> it was so cute. They're so stupid it a, looking. It was the size of a screwdriver. Oh my God. <laughs> oh wow. So how big is this baby great white so shark? We'll, we'll get to that. All right. So Carlos Guana or Guana, whatever, however you pronounce it. Sorry, Carlos. Um, a wildlife filmmaker and a doctoral student, Philip Stearns, say they were scanning the water for sharks in July when they saw a really thin and rounded shark on the drone camera that appeared to be only a baby. This baby was five feet long and entirely white, which means it was newborn. Five foot long baby shark. I know. <laughs> I know. That's five feet long is not baby. That's a, that's a big shark. That's as big as a newborn. Like they're the oh. biggest predatory shark. Yeah. They get the 15 feet long, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a little baby. Wow. I know. He's really cute looking too. Like he's kind of stupid looking. All white? He, yeah. Well, they think he was all white because he was shedding his embryonic layer. Does his dorsal fin stand up or is yeah, it flopped no, over? No, no. It stands up. <laughs> does it? Not like camel humps. Does, does he have teeth? Sharks are born with teeth. So actually, sharks don't have bones at all. No. Um, their skeletons are made entirely of cartilage, right? The same soft and flexible stuff that your ears and the tip of your nose are made of. That's why you never grab them by the tail, because they could just spin right around. And <laughs> they, they could bite their own tail. Yeah, they can. I'm pretty sure sharks are completely born with teeth. And they have, what, three sets of teeth because they come out so easily and they just pop back out? Yeah, they have rows. So that as yeah. one teeth breaks off or falls out, the, the tooth behind it sort of moves into position. Exactly. Like, they have a lot of teeth. Yeah. So there are oviparous sharks, which are egg-laying sharks, and there are viviparous, which are live-bearing sharks. Yeah. Some sharks lay eggs, and some sharks carry the eggs in their stomachs until they're born, and then they, the babies come out. But they're not mammals. Right. Ovip- like oviparous species lay eggs that develop and hatch outside the mother's body with no parental care after the eggs are laid. So that might be what a hammerhead shark is too. You know that the, why that little baby hammerhead shark was so small. No, I think I think hammerhead sharks have babies. You know, we've seen those egg pods at the... Uh, the corkscrews or the mermaid purses. The mermaid purses. Yeah, we've seen those. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Hammerheads are actually just a viviparous shark in general. So they do not come from eggs outside of the mom's body. Yeah. And what's that other shark that has babies and uh, and has three or four babies inside her, but only one will eventually be born because the toughest one inside eats the other ones? Oh, that's a tiger shark. Tiger shark babies. Yeah, that's a tiger <laughs> shark. <laughs> but, but hammerheads don't do that. They don't eat their, their brothers and sisters in, in vitro. 
I wouldn't assume so, no. I mean, hammerhead sharks are not very aggressive. Do you think great white sharks have more than one, you know, fetus inside them and then the the, the toughest one eats the other ones? I don't know. Huh. I don't I, know. We don't know much about great whites, No, do we? we know nothing. Yeah. Like, researchers have been trying forever to find where they're born because the sharks are so secretive about it. So that's why it's so insane to find a baby great white because no one has any idea where these sharks go to have their babies. It's a, the holy grail of shark info. Off the coast of California, apparently. Yeah. So now they're going to go hunting around for their breeding grounds or whatever. Sharks are pretty mysterious. So describe this baby. He's really funny looking. So sharks usually have really pointy noses. Yeah. The great whites, they're very pointy. It's a very acute angle. Yeah. But this guy, kind of his little nose seems a little rounder. Oh. Like a little, like a little round stubby nose. Oh, like a duck. <laughs> no, not like a duck. It's like a little bulb. Oh, is that right? A little bulb nose. <laughs> he's really cute. Oh. And, and he's got, what color are the fins? Well, he was all white when they first saw him. That's why they thought he was newborn because they yeah. saw, saw him shedding his embryonic layer. Yeah. So he's not very different colored than a regular shark. So the pale grayish blue. And white on the belly. Yeah. Thanks, Lily. You know, I love the name of your newsletter, Plugboats. Not just a newsletter, it's a, uh, a full-on website. I have been doing this for five years, almost to the day. I think it was February 2nd, 2019. I said, I'm going to start writing a blog about electric boats. They're going to happen one day. And um, then uh, the it just grew and grew. And I got the support of electric boat associations uh, around the world. I love boats as much as fishing. I don't think I'm alone amongst the angling community, right? Like every angler believes they need at least four different boats. I find fishing is a, a lot like um, some other sports where you think, if only I had that lure, then yeah. that would be better. Or if only I had that motor or if only i had that boat then i know that i'd catch a lot more fish the time and place right what what do you need to get the job done and uh, and of course it's just a love of boats too and just being on the water and 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 with friends and and just having the ability to do it just get out there and do it the electric thing is is fascinating and and you know we were just talking before we went live and i was telling you about my blind fishing boat project i started in 2006 with the uh, with the port of boat made in california that plastic folding boat and uh, an electric motor, transit motor on the back, and all the little electronic doodads I put on there, sonar, GPS, compass, yeah. and obstacle detectors, all of these electronic things that talked and beeped and squawked and uh, allowed me as a blind person to go out on the water. That's still going on. But I realized at some point, my boat was on self-driving. This is not new technology to people who love fishing. You know, we've been using electric trolling motors on our boats now for, for quite a few years, 20 years at least. But it's just now starting to grab the attention. And now at the International Boat Show this year in Toronto, it was the lead story, right? That's how they marketed the boat show. You know, when you say that uh, how long they've been around, they've actually been around longer than uh, internal combustion boats. And in fact, the guy that uh, invented the uh, the outboard motor is a French guy named Gustave Trouvé, mm. who uh, was working on uh, electrifying a boat in 1874 in Paris. He had already invented the electric tricycle and he was putting an electric motor on a, on a boat and he got tired of lugging the entire boat out of the water uh, to, uh, you know, to make uh, changes to it as he was adjusting the, uh, making it uh, propel properly. And he thought, 
maybe I don't need to get the whole boat out of the water. I'm going to make it so that I can detach the motor. So that was the world's first um, outboard motor. A, a company from Montreal, they had, I think, three or four boats on display, uh, some fairly big cruisers and a 22-foot pontoon boat with a 175-horsepower equivalent electric outboard hanging on the back of that. I think they wanted $130,000 for the boat, trailer, and motor. That's oh. a company called uh, Vision Marine Technologies. It started out as the Canadian Electric Boat Company in 1995. It built boats, mainly small um yeah, picnic boats. Um, they're kind of built for eight or ten people to sit around a picnic table and go very go very slow. I mean, they didn't have motors on them much bigger than a trolling motor, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a delightful few hours in the afternoon, and there's a canopy above you, and you have a nice uh, picnic. Uh, then in 2020, uh, as the electric boat world uh, was was growing, um, they decided to move into high power electric outboards. So they really have pioneered the idea of exceptionally high power electric outboards. Their Emotion 180E is 180 uh, horsepower, which is about 130 kilowatts. Uh, Kilowatts um, are about 1.3 horsepower. Uh, So that is a a very powerful motor. And in fact, a boat with two of those on the back set the electric uh, boat world speed record in August down in in, uh, Lake of the Ozarks, uh, Arkansas, with a speed of 116 miles an hour. Wow. And I, I was also reading they, they actually sold 15 of these boats to a, a tourist company in Montreal. And they're doing, you can rent these boats and go drive around on the St. Lawrence River and the Richelieu River. And There are lots of electric boats that you can rent all over the world. Um, yeah. I would say every major city in uh, Europe that has a canal has uh, at least one fleet of uh, electric boats uh, ready for rental. Wow. They're great for electric because, you know, people are quite often want to be out on the pontoons and being able to, to talk and uh, maybe enjoy some music and things. Yeah. And um, you know, the, the quietness of an electric motor is fantastic for that. Now, everything I've read about uh, electric boats and going fast, going far, you know, like the way you go with a motorboat is that the, it's the batteries. That's the Achilles heel. It's the weight of the batteries. Every time you add more batteries to go further, you have to build the boat bigger to hold up the weight of the batteries. Yeah, if you are intent on planning for a long time, then yeah, you have to have a bigger battery. You just can't go you know, for three hours at top speed. Yeah, there's a company in the States, they started working with small electric outboards and and uh, they realized pretty quick that, you know, it was a it was a losing race to keep adding more batteries and making the boat builder. You still couldn't go more than an hour at full speed. So that what they went in the other direction and, and created a boat out of a carbon material with sort of hydrofoils. And they won a big race out in the Pacific with that. And it was just like a six horsepower equivalent electric motor, but it was super efficient and the boat was super light and, and they did it. They went far and fast. There are lots of boats that uh, you can go out you know, however long it takes you to get away to your favorite fishing spot, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour, tootle around there for three or four hours. You hardly use any energy whatsoever and, and come back full speed for half an hour. There are lots of boats that can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people just get concerned because it's not the same as a, as a um, fossil fuel boat where if they wanted to go for another six hours, they could do that. So it's more a, ma- a matter of managing things than anything else. Yeah. Uh, I think that the idea of waiting for a, a battery to be the magical solution is is a long way off. I always say that the uh, the sharpest minds on the planet are working on batteries because they know that if they can crack that, it'll, they'll be worth a trillion dollars. 
There are breakthroughs every day in the technology and chemistry, but it's a long way then to get to your, your neighborhood marina. I heard the batteries are improving at about 7% a year in terms of you know, how much charge, how fast they can be charged, their weight, uh, yeah. how many times you can charge them. I mean, a 7% efficiency gain every year is, is huge. And the price is going down as well. You know, at some point, these internal combustion engines, with all their complexity and, and the costs of maintaining them, it's going to be a thing of the past. That is a key thing is, yeah, the electric motor needs almost zero uh, maintenance. Uh, so you know, I, I kind of phrase it to people like you're buying all the fuel up front when you buy an electric boat. Um, but the, because the ongoing maintenance charges are almost zero, and when people say, boy, that's a lot of money to spend for a boat at the beginning, I say, well, what, you know, if you went out and bought a motor and they said, and uh, I'm also going to charge you for the next 15 years worth of gasoline, you'd be a bit taken back by that price. There's a company called E-Propulsion, which is uh, kind of the second largest electric boat uh, motor manufacturer after Torquedo. And they just introduced um, motors that are 10 kilowatt, 20 kilowatt, and 40 kilowatt. So call that kind of 20 30, 50 um, horsepower boats, they can all push a button and it will stay exactly in place or it will have the bow face in one direction uh, just with one motor. And I, I was going to say that's one of the things about electric boats, even the smallest boat motors, because it's uh, electrons going through wires that, uh, that determine everything. Uh, it's very easy for even the smallest motors to have a smartphone app that will enable you. You can drive it with the smartphone app. It will tell you how much charge you have left, uh, how much range you have left, whether you should be going back to shore now and at what speed you'll be able to get there and how, you know how many kilometers you have at that speed. Um, whereas even in big fossil fuel motors, you know you have to have kind of separate um, instruments to, to do GPS versus how much fuel there is versus everything else. With that electric uh, electric boats and motors, it's all wrapped up in the same system. My uh, Torquedo, a little outboard, I got 10 years ago, had that already, right? Yeah. And now they uh, gather the data from all of their motors all over the world. And so you'll get over-the-air uh, updates um, of the technology and, and any improvements to the system. Wow. There really is not a lot of information like you really got to dig and i i've been digging and you're you know i'm learning stuff from your website and from you the things i didn't know about electric motors i i've been a big proponent not you know like i said I've, I've loved them now and i've been using them for 15 years and uh i think they're great i'm i'd be happy to just go pure electric but i to me it's you know i'm thinking wow like the boats like the fiberglass boats you know a good boat a good fiberglass boat is always a strong boat, a solid boat, one that you can, you know, if it gets caught in a storm and blown up against the dog, it's not going to have a hole in it instantly, you know, and, and yeah. we jump off a wave and land on another one and the hull's not going to crack, you know, it, like that's a good boat to me, but it's also a heavy boat, right? And, and, and pushing water and displacing water takes you know, a power and it takes a lot of power and you got to get the thing going fast to get it up on, on plane and you got to keep it on fast and going fast weak point of electric motors, electric motors have torque and they can move the stuff around. They can pull like crazy and they can push like crazy, but when they have to go full speed and uh, that's where they start to burn through the energy. Is that right? The boat, whether it has a fossil fuel motor or an electric motor is going to burn through the same amount of energy. Okay. It's just that a 
the weight of gasoline holds a lot more energy than the same weight of a battery. But the motor itself is not burning through any more energy. It's always going to take exactly the same amount of energy to put the boat through the water at a specific speed. Um, so, yeah, it's just the difference between the what they call the energy density of gasoline and the energy density of a, a battery. And the gasoline has a lot more energy within it that is released uh, through combustion. Um, you know, from my point of view, unfortunately, that combustion releases a whole bunch of other things that I don't think are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is certainly there to be released, but it doesn't take any more or less energy to, to drive the boat. It's a matter of the energy storage. You're right. I also saw some things at the boat show that were sort of um, maybe some people might say silly or just unique or whatever. Well, with you, electric- you can always find silly things at a boat show. <laughs> so you're you're not you're not going to get yourself one of those electric uh, hover wakeboards then you're not signing up for that oh i would i'm just too old for it they are fantastic <laughs> they look so much fun yeah yeah I, I didn't even grow up with a skateboard for young people they're somebody younger than me which is not too hard to do no they're fantastic you're like flying above the water and just incredible and because they're on foils i mean they do not have any range issues um you only need enough energy to keep a a small piece of metal going through the uh, the water i mean the board itself is two feet above the water is literally flying so that's i saw that one where where the motor hung down on a it looked like a keel and the motor was fixed to the bottom of the keel two feet down below the uh, below the wakeboard and then the wakeboard itself was um, had a soft top and all sorts of hand grips and i'm thinking okay is is the motor way down below the board so it, you don't get hit by the propeller? Your, your leg doesn't get hit or your hand or something like that? But now you're telling me the whole board is above the water? Definitely the uh, the e-foiling board. There's a small, like a trolling motor. That, that motor is underneath the water. Yeah. Uh, and it has uh, wings uh, coming out from the sides of it. And there is then a, a strut going up to the board. And you get on the board and you go along for a certain speed. And once you hit a certain speed, then it all rises out of the water and you are on a magic carpet ride. They had electric uh, jet ski. Yeah, I think there was only one there, the uh, Taiga. It's from Montreal as well. Company is Taiga. The, the, uh, the PwC is called an Orca. That jet ski is the official jet ski of the new uh, international uh, E1 electric boat racing uh, championship, which starts actually this weekend in Jeddah, uh, starts February 2nd and 3rd. So it has hydrofoiling boats, uh, electric hydrofoiling boats with the boats. Mm, maybe the motors are about 150 kilowatts. Um, and they're about 16 feet long and they, um, they fly above the water and the teams are owned by people like uh, Tom Brady and Raphael Nadell and, um, Mark Anthony and a few other celebrities. There's about uh, eight teams. The hydrogen is, seems to be coming up pretty quick to power right. electric boats. We're going to see that at the America's cup, uh, races in uh, Barcelona this September. All the the America's Cup boats are required to have a chase boat that is uh, hydrogen powered. Uh, those boats are required by the rules of the America's Cup to go be able to go 55 miles an hour for, uh, I think, 180 minutes to be able to uh, keep up with the uh, America's Cup boats. Yeah. So these foiling hydrogen boats, what happens is... Uh, They have hydrogen fuel cells, but they have electric motors and batteries. So what a hydrogen fuel cell cannot do 
is react quickly to a, a load demand. So oh. if if you push down on the throttle and want to go fast uh, immediately, the fuel cell cannot do that. A battery does that magnificently. So what happens is the hydrogen fuel cells uh, continually feed the batteries and then the batteries drive the motors. So much change and, and not soon enough by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, look at 2023 and the hottest year on record. You yeah. know, yeah, we might be coming out of an ice age and we still have glaciers hanging around, but man, we're melting them faster than anyone could have possibly imagined. And that's not a good thing. We got to get this under control. We've got uh, millions of people all over the world working on it. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, be able to do it in time. The website's pluggedboats.com. So- right on, sir. Here's five tips on finding the right boat. Ask yourself where you will be using the boat most of the time. Is it a suitable size for that body of water? Is it safe? Can it be easily launched and retrieved? If the lake doesn't allow gas-powered boats, can you use an electric boat? Or will the lake disallow any boat with any propeller? In which case, you're paddling or sailing. Either way, you better know this before you go buy your boat. Two, do you want your boat to be made from fiberglass or aluminum? They're both similar in value, thanks to the increasing price of aluminum. But aluminum boats can be more utilitarian in style, especially the small ones. You know, just a haul, some seats, and a motor that you drive with a tiller handle. Otherwise, aluminum boats can be just as well equipped as a fiberglass boat. With windshields, steering wheels, throttles, nice seats that spin around, carpet, fish finders, trolling motors, the whole nine yards. But fiberglass boats can be much more beautiful to the eye and the touch with all those curves. You know, aluminum boats, it's more about angles and flat surfaces. Aluminum just doesn't curve like fiberglass. Aluminum boats are usually a little more easy to take care of. You can just really hose them out when you get home. Fiberglass boats, well, you got to wipe them down and cover them up. But in the end, though, if you're going to take your boat down a bunch of gravel roads and fish in lakes with a bunch of rocks, you probably want to go aluminum. Gravel will chip the heck out of your fiberglass. With aluminum, it'll just chip your paint. And if you hit a rock with an aluminum boat, you'll just get a big dent, but you'll make it home. With a fiberglass boat and you hit a rock, wow, trust me, it doesn't take much to put a hole in a fiberglass boat. And that's the last I'll say on that. If you're on bigger water and waves and a dry ride are what you're looking for, you'll want to go with a fiberglass boat. You can run faster on bumpy water and get less wet. Whereas an aluminum boat, you'll pound through those waves. Bam, bam, bam. Because they have flatter bottoms. Where a fiberglass boat has more of a V-shape. Three, how big of a boat do you need? And if you know, add two more feet. You don't want to come down with a case of two-foot-itis. You know, people think, hey, I can get away with that 14-foot boat. That's all I need. And they buy it. And a few years later, they think, well, I should have bought a bigger one. And they trade it in and get a 16. And then a few years later, they trade that one in and get an 18. And on and on. Just Buy the right size boat from the beginning and get as much boat as you can afford or fit in your garage. Four, what do you plan to do with your boat? Will you be fishing most of the time? Or did you promise your spouse to take the kids out tubing and water skiing and wakeboarding? You might feel that you need a boat designed to do both. These crossover type boats are usually just pleasure boats with a place to put your fishing rod. 
But if you think you're going to be doing a lot more fishing than family-type recreation, just get a fishing boat. Any boat will pull a tube or a skier or a wakeboarder. And last, how accessible does the boat need to be? Do you have friends or family members that use a cane for mobility or have knee issues, hip issues, or they're using a wheelchair? If access in and out of a boat and climbing off a dock and down into a boat and back out again is an issue for the people you love and care about, then get a pontoon boat. Roll on, roll off. Flat floors in the pontoon boat, but they don't make the best fishing boats and they don't go fast. You can pull a tube though if you get a big enough one and you can fish off them. If you have small children and you're worried about them falling off the boat, then don't get a fishing boat with a big flat front deck made for fishing that has no sides. Last thing you want is your little kids tumbling off the side of the boat. To me, a person who likes to spend time on the water in Canada needs at least three boats. First, an old aluminum boat on a trailer with a motor, and that's about it. Something you can drag down a gravel road and put into any lake, rock, stumps, or whatever. Something that you can take out. Even if it's the end of season, you can still take that aluminum boat out and break a little ice at the launch and go fishing. And then you need the bigger boat. The boat that you can tube with, ski with, fish comfortably in big water with, and spend your summers out there enjoying nature. And third, you need a kayak or a canoe. Something that you can get into those back corners, way into the back of those bays, through the stumps, around the rocks, where no one goes. And you'll have it all to yourself. Anyone can get a pleasure boat operator certificate. Costs about $50. You do the test online. They give you as many tries as it takes for you to do the test and get a pass. But you have to do your homework. You have to do your study. And a lot of these online testing services time you out if you try to jump ahead from doing the study work. So take your time. Go through the chapters online. You are allowed to have someone work with you. If you can't do it yourself because of accessibility issues, you're allowed to have someone read you the questions and the study materials and enter your answers into the test on your behalf. Just don't have them do the test. You're doing the test. This is about you knowing what the rules are on the water. But how much can you see? Yeah, there's autopilot technology and it's been around for a while and it's trickling down into smaller and smaller boats. You can even get a trolling motor for the front of your boat, a little electric motor that has GPS and a compass. You can record a route that's three kilometers long and then ask it to bring you back to the start and it'll retrace your route exactly and then do it again from beginning to end and end to beginning, all you want. But it's technology. You know what happens with technology? Inevitably, it'll fail. There's also accessible technology out there that'll tell you how deep the water is below the boat. Your GPS coordinations, your compass heading, it'll beep and tell you if there's fish below the boat. If you want to learn about that, visit my website, blindfishingboat.com, and you can hear all about my adventures over the last 15 years figuring this stuff out. But if getting back alive is important to you, you probably don't need to be the captain. And if you're going to be driving a boat that goes more than five miles an hour and makes noise because it has a gas engine, boats don't have brakes, driving that boat around on your own, not a good idea. Your insurance company won't be happy if you have an accident and your neighbor or the person you hit certainly won't be happy. You don't want to be running anybody over. 
Getting out on a boat is about having fun with family and friends. You don't need to be the captain of your own boat when you can be the admiral. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions at feedback at ami.ca. Thanks to Mark Affalo. He's our technical producer. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.